<laughs> okay. <laughs> it's still better than the other one. Yes, that is true. And look, there's table space. Oh, yeah. I know. I can actually see the script. Oh, this is fantastic. Oh, hold on. Did you see this already? I, no, I have no idea what that is. Oh. What's that? There are things. Fan mail. <laughs> yes! <laughs> no. Oh, these are great. Playing with mm -hmm. the sound effects. Oh. Oh, I can't wait to see, I can't wait to use that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot. Okay. All right. I'm to... That's for Cash's bad jokes. <laughs> yes. That's great. Oh, the first time I pulled that, Scott loved it. Oh, so, so you could do this one whenever. Cash, say a joke. Uh, joke. <laughs> joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? This is just taking too long. I'm just going to use my phone. I'll set it up before I leave. Actually, I got to be out of here and back Yay! at the office at 3.30. Okay. Because I have no boss, and I have... We had a Rule 3 violator. Uh-oh. Yeah. Tell them what, what Rule 3 is. I oh. already asked her. She told me. Uh, well, is this is this uh, Sean or Troy? Yay! No, nope, just nope. something I found online. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that one's always a good one. Are you just going to hit all the buttons? Stand for what happens when we do it together. Oh, there's Sean. Yeah. Oh, which one is he? The stamp, stamp collecting happens when we dream together. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together. That's Sean. With a lot of uh, reverb. Uh, reverb, yeah. On reverb, purpose. Reverb, 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 reverb. Yeah. Okay, Cash, we got to do it. Uh, I'm ready. <laughs> we got to do a quick um, re-edit because we have to throw Brian in here. Oh, that's true. Uh -huh. uh, have you already started part of it? Oh, I've been recording. Every, everything you've played is on recorded now, so. Oh. It'll that's, what, that's what edits are for. I'm sorry live. to the person who gets to edit this. That'd be him right now. Too. Oh, our silver bronze. How about that? Our award-winning podcast. Woo! But who got this uh, silver one then? Uh, that's for the uh, Book of Secrets. Oh, really? Look mm -hmm. at this. How about that? Stamp. Wow. <laughs> stamp professional stamp experts won an award too. Yep. But stamp hey, show here today is an award-winning podcast. This is. Uh... This is not just silver plated. This might be like a, or it might be actually silver plated, not just uh, the spray on silver. <laughs> wow, this is pretty cool. Uh, you know, we got to get started here. Yeah, we do. I have to get back to the office. Okay, you eating your pizza? I am trying to. Okay, while we're talking, you you can be uh, eating pizza. Yes, Why don't you count it down, though? Okay, let me count it down. Five, four. Three, two, one. I'm John Hotchner, uh, expert in air freak and oddity material and U.S. postal counterfeits, and you're listening to Stamp Show here today. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful?
I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rufus, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Now, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Homer, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan I got a plenty from Poland but none from Sudan Or from Fiji or Uzbekistan Stamp collecting happens when we dream together Welcome to Stamp Show Here Today, episode 105 I'm Cash, and remember, don't text and drive, but also longhand writing and driving is not good either. <laughs> you get two crickets for that one. That's right. <laughs> this is Tom. This is Brian. And I'm your host, Don. Where's Scott? Scott is in New Jersey right now. Wave to Scott. Everybody wave west or wave east, excuse me. Wherever. Mm-hmm. That is an impressive Festivus poll. I, I'm very happy that you're getting, uh, that, that you are celebrating properly. Yeah, look how big it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, it grew. It was shorter last year. Yeah. This week is our Christmas special, so hang on or whatever you're going to hang on. Let's get started on this day in history in 1937 Theodore Cole and Ralph Rowe attempt to escape from the American Federal Prison on Alcatraz Island in San Francisco Bay I remember watching a very interesting documentary about that Um, there was this uh, this guy who had actually made a paper mache Mask, like you know, went to the barber, got some hair, glued it on, uh, went to the paint shop, got a little bit of paint. Uh, I saw it different. You, I, I don't. Like, I don't. Like Clint Eastwood. Well, no, no, no. The, it, it, it was it, Nicolas it, Cage, it, wasn't it? And he, but well, he didn't. The, he didn't build a face. He actually cut the face off of a person. And then he switched it with John Travolta. And he switched it with John Travolta. You're so close. You're almost there. Almost there. And, and then when did Sean Connery get involved with um, the with the chemical bomb? Uh, John Travolta was wow. dancing <laughs> and he had his girlfriend in the car and I think Sean Connery came and picked up the girlfriend while uh, the Bee Gees were playing some music or something. Was well, that the one where Catherine Zeta-Jones gets in that little cat suit and does that uh, gymnastics routine with the lasers? No, that was Halle Berry and that was Catwoman. Was that the one where she comes out of the ocean in that little that bikini and then was... Drank a mojito? No, I think that was uh, King Arthur when he was getting the sword. This could go on for a while. (laughs) Until Darth Vader came out and force choked the crap out of him. (laughs) The end. (laughs) I'm duly impressed, though, I have to say. I know. Well, we could have gone all day with that. Yeah, you could have. That's what I was afraid of. Well, there are some actual true stories from uh, the uh, 
The Rock. The Rock, yes. And uh, I, I think Don has one of them there. Merry Christmas. Festivus, thank you. Cut us, some, cut us some slack. It's Christmas time. We're allowed to make it. Scott's crap. not here to keep everyone in line. Yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah, we're unsupervised. Okay, so let's start with this. A couple with three children waited in line at San Francisco's Pier 41 to purchase tickets for a sightseeing boat to Alcatraz Prison. The children weren't good at waiting. They fidgeted, whined, and punched one another. Sounds like your kids. Yeah, very much. The frazzled parents reprimanded them to no avail. Finally, they reached the ticket window. Five tickets, please, said the father. Two round trip, three one way. <laughs> that also sounds like cash. Yeah. That does. What do you call a clairvoyant midget who escapes from prison? I don't know, Cash. What do you call a clairvoyant midget that escapes from prison? A small, medium, at large. Uh. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get any better. You know that. (laughs) It's all downhill. It's all downhill. Mm -hmm. What do prisoners use to call each other? What? What, Cash? Cell phones. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm, go- I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it one more try. What do you call it when a prisoner takes his own mugshot? What's that? A selfie. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's better. That's better. Come on, your best one on here is the one you didn't tell. Energizer bunny arrested, charged with battery. That's yeah, I know. actually <laughs> funny. I know. That's actually funny. <laughs> leave it to Cash to find the to leave the one funny joke out. <laughs> oh well. Okay. I'm I'm uh, out of jokes. We're on fire today. Uh, we we are. You can tell I had I am now just now looking at the script. So, we get emails, so summon the answer squad. We got a fan letter from Con Vanderham from... I love you guys, love you guys, hold on. Con Vanderham must be from Beijing, China. Sorry, we were on the wrong screen, Brian was looking for him. I know, huh? No, Con Vanderham from China. I don't think there is a more Dutch name possible. Anyways, thank you very much for the kind letter. He also sent you a couple chicken stamps, Cash. He sent uh, he sent all of us some stuff. He sent all of us some stuff, and I noticed in there there's a couple of chicken stamps, so I'm very, very happy. There's some chicken stamps. Some butterfly stamps. Mm-hmm. Some Lots of bugs, actually. So, uh, Well, I think he said creepy crawlers were for my daughter. Yep. Awesome. There's some, dragon, there's some dragon stamps in there for <gasps> Dawn, too. There's Ooh. dragons? Yeah, somewhere in there. Ah. We haven't taken it all apart yet. And a very nice letter, so thank you very much. Th- yeah. This guy really put some effort into finding these. Brian's yeah. going to switch coasts with Scott more often so he can get some of this stuff. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Well, I, I just, the amount of effort this guy put into it, it these are very, very well sorted by topicals. Uh, a little bit of something for everybody, and I think this guy is—he uh, was really sweet of doing this. 
for doing this. Oh, we have fantastic uh, people who listen to the show. and Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very great. Now it's time for the Stamp Show Here Today Museum Contribution. This week we have our Christmas special, so we have to discuss the world's first Christmas stamp, which is the 1898 stamp from Canada. To help us with this, we have the foremost expert on British colonial stamps, Mr. George Holschauer. Hi, George. Hey. Hi, George. Well, hey, George. How are you? And season's greetings to, to all of our listeners. So we're, we're, talking, we're, we're looking at the Canadian uh, uh, Christmas stamp, which is also called the map stamp, because it, it features a large map of Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a number of different printings of the stamp. So the stamp comes in a small range of colors. There are also some imperfect color trials and, and uh, varieties that are interesting and, and uh, quite scarce. I seem to recall there was a gentleman up in Toronto who tried to do a calendar of used copies of the stamp for, for the year 1899 hmm. and tried to get one of all 365. I don't know if you ever finished it or not, but it must have taken a long time. Very attractive stamp and uh, quite popular. It must have been very hard to find ones in the middle of August and September to try to find if it's a Christmas stamp. Was this uh, uh, probably? It, it was. I'm sure it. It was a, a, a Herculean task. Yeah. Someone needed to have needed to have a great deal of patience. Not surprising there. No, it's uh, 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 a tough but interesting proposition, and it, it certainly kept the, the the builder out of the pool halls for the year. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is totally off the subject of the Canadian stamp. But when we called you earlier, we had to uh, reschedule to call you later because you were looking at valuing another person's collection. How do you do that? Well, it's um, since we've been doing the same thing for somewhat somewhat over 50 years, um, uh, I suppose almost all dealers probably get calls very frequently. I probably get one or two a day as a rule because people are always inheriting uh, grandpa's stamp collection or grandma's collection or something they built as a kid or something they found in an abandoned house. Uh, storage lockers. Uh, stuff seems to come out of out of the woodwork. <laughs> and a, a, a number of people managed to find us even though we're hiding up here in the penthouse of the Screen Actors Guild building, they find us nonetheless. Well, I didn't know that's where you were. <laughs> oh, yeah, at, at, at 5757 Wilshire, uh, mm-hmm. in penthouse suite number eight. And I don't have a street-level location because I'm kind of busy as it is. Uh, I don't want to compound the felony, but and then again, if people need help, I'm always there to try and lend a hand. So we get these calls, and and every other dealer you talk to is going to say the same thing because this happens to them consistently. And uh, uh, basically, I do the I do this I do the assessments for the banks and trust companies here in town, uh, which is five hundred dollars an hour. Ooh, ooh, Having said that, well, and I'm and, and I'm just as glad when they don't call because I'm very busy taking care of the customers I already got. Having said that. I've, I've made it a company policy that when pe- folks call up, usually they have no idea what they've inherited or whether it has any commercial value or is, is terribly valuable. 
I've always said, if you if you make me get my rolls and drive out to Azusa or Cucamonga, I'll charge you the $500 I charge the banks to do this. Mm. However, if you put Grandpa's stamps in a box, put it on the seat of the car and drive it over here, I, I having no sales resistance to a stamp collection, will look at it for nothing. <laughs> That's a good price. Well, I mean, you're, as far as I'm concerned, they're $500 ahead the minute they walk through the office because they're not going to be charged for the visit. Yeah. Of course, having seen so much material over over half a century, you one is it is easier for with based on experience to be able to look at the thing and determine whether there's something they need to give to the grandchildren or something they can actually get a check for. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the stuff that goes to the grandchildren seems to outweigh the stuff I write a check for. But uh, I have I have Zippo sales resistance to a phone call that says. Psst, psst, I got Grandpa's stamp collection. Would you like to look at it? To which I say, is the Pope Polish? <laughs> yeah, certainly bring it in. We'll take a look. Um, even though my accountant snickers at me because he realizes I'm going to spend an awful lot of time looking at things that really don't have commercial value. But folks need the help. Mm-hmm. And I've got the experience, and I think it's only fair that I make myself available. As long as they're, do- as long as they're bringing it in. Uh, I can. I, I'm able to sit down and go through it and assess it in in fair order, given that we deal in rare stamps of the world. So there's very few countries that I haven't handled important properties and built major collections of, which makes it much easier. I, I always find that if I have to open the Scott catalog, it's a moral defeat. Aye. <laughs> I should know what I'm looking at. Which, <laughs> but I'll, but I have practiced an awful long time to do that. <laughs> I'm not saying some don't, don't cause me to, to scratch my head and look at the catalog, but uh, I, I prefer to see if I can look at it and feel that I know what it is I was I was dealing with. And that makes it a lot more, it makes it like an Easter egg hunt. I have a lot of fun with it. Well, then I have to ask, what what walked in your door where the person didn't know they had it? Like they found something? And they walked in, and you went, whoa! I bought a, I bought a, I bought a I'm sorry, well, this is one of the reasons I keep doing this. Uh, someone came in, this is a couple of years ago, and it was a very amateur collection made up out of out of, out of uh, dime store packets that bought at Kresge's 50 years ago. The previous owner had never spent any money on it to speak of, and it, unfortunately it was quite obvious what it consisted of, but I went through it patiently, and lo and behold, there was a stamp which is worth a tenth of a cent, but with an inverted watermark is a $5,000 stamp. No. And I always check that stamp, even in the humblest little stamp collection, because one time in 10000 it's actually going to be the variety. And I flipped it up, and sure enough, it was. I said, there is a guy. I said under my breath, there is a God. <laughs> <laughs> Having looked at so many of these things till I'm blue in the face. But uh, that that's it helps to have done this a great long while and to have handled so much material that it's easier for me to look at a page and determine what I need to look at as opposed to what I don't need to bother with because there are no possible items of interest relating to the particular items that are on that page. So it's 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 quite easy and and uh, so he was quite pleased. Um, and we have a fair amount of advertising in the Scott catalog and the Stanley Gibbons catalog. We advertise in Lynn's, you know, all over Hell's Half Acre. But at the end of the day, it's still the referral clients that that, that, that uh, turn out to be, on principle, the most the most interesting. 
Um, yeah, I, I have to tell you, I was looking through a 1987 Scott's catalog for some reason, and I was looking a stamp up, and I looked, and your ad was in it. No kidding. <laughs> and I go, hey, there's George. Go back another 10 years, you'll still find it there. <laughs> I'm a forever kind of person. Presupposing, from my perspective, presupposing that, that I don't fall into, into ill health, they're definitely going to cart me out of here at a gauge 105 because I'm having a lot of fun and I'm enjoying the work. Uh, and it's, it's fun, it's interesting, it's, it's always a chance to learn more. And I mean, I think that is really should be the aspiration of any serious dealer is to try and get a better understanding of the art form that we've chosen to deal with. And that's only going to be done with experience and, and an interest in trying to an intellectual curiosity about the nature of the stamp. Yeah. The stamp collecting, per se. A couple of years. This was actually a funny. This was this is a funny thing that happened about two, three years ago. I got a call out of the blue. I think most of the folks that are listening to this program that are in the L.A. area have been bludgeoned to death with the uh, storage wars, storage locker wars <laughs> program oh, yeah. here. I don't know if it's in other parts of the country or not. Yeah, that's that's nationwide. They're all bidding like mad for the contents of unknown storage lockers. So a couple of years, a couple of years ago, I get a call out of the blue, and the gentleman identified himself and said, I buy storage lockers. And uh, I bought a storage locker. I paid 500 bucks for it. And the part of what was in there was a stamp collection about which I know nothing. Uh, would you be willing to look at it? I said, pack it up and bring it in. I'll give you an appointment that suits our mutual schedule. So he comes in. It was not. It was a semi-beginner's collection. I paid $1,500 for it. No. Uh because I, every once in a while, people come in and say, I want to start a new country, a new area, or give me a big a mystery lot or a big box of something. So I, I keep those things around just for those kind of occasions. Anyway, having said that, he leaves. He's, of course, euphoric because he's already tripled his money on his locker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and God knows what else he got for his 500 bucks. A month or so later, I get another call from a fellow who says, uh, I buy storage lockers. I bought a storage locker, and there's a stamp collection in there. Would you be willing to look at it? I said, certainly bring it in. He said, yeah, I, I, I can you because my friend brought your collection last month, and he said it was a very pleasant experience and, and was handled very professionally, and uh, he was very pleased with the outcome. Uh, I'd like to see what, what, what you can do with this. So I said, sure, no problem. And we, we'll set up a date. So they came in. <laughs> and and it was it was less than prepossessing, shall we say? <laughs> I I gently suggested this would be a wonderful property to give to the grandchildren. It had really no commercial value, or whatever. But it it what does it cost to be nice to people? And the answer is nothing. So uh, he le- he he left crestfallen that it wasn't worth a fortune, but at least he wasn't unhappy when he left. So. At the end of the day, the first guy that I was collection I bought, he told two or three other storage locker people. Mm-hmm. He told three or four other storage locker people, and the fellow, even the guy that came in with the with the collection, turned out not to have commercial value. 
He told some friends. So I figure by about now, considering how many storage locker collections I've looked at, I figure there isn't a storage <laughs> locker buyer guy in the entire city that doesn't know the Colonial Stamp Company. It's the, the people are, are amongst those people who should be considered to look at what he, what he got in his storage locker. And, of course, these things are a great deal of fun because you really don't know what they're going to pull out of that storage locker. Yeah. And it, keep, it keeps the game – for me, it keeps the game very, very interesting, and I, I kind of enjoy it, even though I, I probably write a check for one a lot in a hundred that comes through the door. Oh. But at least they need once in their life to take it in front of somebody to decide whether we give this to the grandchildren or we could actually get a check for it. Mm-hmm. Once they've done, I said, I've said, you've done, I tell them all the same thing after they're done. I said, you've done due diligence. I don't want to see you spend any more time on this project. You've already invested as much time as I feel is appropriate for the amount of value that's here. Makes sense, yes. Because I don't want to see, I hate to see people, well, I want to, they'll call up and say, well, I want to organize this thing. Well, it'll take them two years to organize it, assuming they really knew what they were looking at, which in most cases they don't. So at the end of the day, I said, save, save your, save your, save your, save your time and energy. Just put them in a box, put them on the back seat of the car, and drive them over. I said I gave up my seeing eye dog many years ago. <laughs> uh, George, my girlfriend would be deeply offended that you just called a guide dog a seeing eye dog. <laughs> I'm sorry uh, to hear that. I, I, the seeing eye, it turns out, was the first company in the uh, U.S. that offered guide dogs. Oh my God! Who the hell? Cares. What is the stamp that you looked at the back for the uh, inverted watermark? What stamp oh, is that? It was in Northern Rhodesia, the Queen Elizabeth, which is a worthless uh, six-penny gray. It's 5,000 pounds. Oh. So, As er- opposed to the normal variety, which is a, uh, which is 72 cents. Mm-hmm. And the set is extremely common. I mean, six out of ten dealers will have it in stock. Whether or not they bother to read reader study the catalog to the extent that they understood that such a thing existed or not. Uh, well, in several cases, I could say they didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Based on my track record. But it's good fun. I mean, we're, we, each dealer is, is has to decide what they want to focus on and, and what they want to spend their time uh, learning about because uh, it's a vast... It's a vast sea, and the best of us know only a tiny fraction of what there is to know about all the stuff that's out there. But it, it, it's a it's a fun lifelong, lifetime pursuit. I do the same thing. I I cannot. No matter how expensive the collection is, I always look at the cheap number elevens just because for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> I I tend, I tend I tend to look at the at the six and eight cent. Yep. Bureaus. <laughs> yep. Yep. So far, I haven't found anything. I've got a six cent, <laughs> but I paid a real price for it. <laughs> but this is this is. I mean, this is part of the fun. Whether you're an amateur collector or you're a professional trader, the whole world of philately opens an enormous, enormous range of interesting aspects. And one can happily lose themselves in in, in stamp collecting uh, for a lifetime. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if if not even more than one lifetime. So so <laughs> let's see. I uh, the I'm sorry. Six penny Rhodesia. You said the six the six the six cent the six penny gray uh, Northern Rhodesia. Northern Rhodesia. The set of 1950. 
53. So everybody is going to start checking those now. You have any other little tidbits to share? That you're... <laughs> what what else do you look I keep, for? Keep, if I keep this up, I'm going to be out of business. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, but we have people, you know, we, we just were uh, talking about uh, two of our, or one of our fans from Holland. So, you know, let him look over there. So tell him what to look for. Oh, <laughs> He's it, not going to compete. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's all, listen, the whole thing is good fun. Whether you're a dealer or a collector, it's an enjoyable pursuit. And uh, I'll say this about philately, and I'll say this about learning, whether you're a professional or you're, or, or you're a, you're a, professional or a private collector and this is really important i've got a library in my office that's seven foot tall and 14 foot long with hundreds of volumes of specialized treatises on various and sundry philatelic subjects and i've read every one of them cover to cover and some of them many times the knowledge the wisdom of the ages philatelically flows through the books that have been published relevant to them Mm mm-hmm and uh, buying a book on a subject you like, whether it's Hungary or Zuzuland, is a wonderful investment because it ratchets up your understanding of a country you collected anyway. But the fellow that's the philatelic literature is the biggest bargain in the world, no matter what you pay for it. Why? Because. <laughs> For twenty nine ninety five or one hundred and twenty nine ninety five, you're going to buy a book on Inderot or Zuzuland, written by a seventy nine year old guy that spent sixty years studying the subject. Mm-hmm. Now he's going to be talking about a lot of things that you know already because you collect the country, but he's going to tell you a whole bunch of things that never crossed your path because you didn't have sixty years. Mm-hmm. And the other interesting thing about that is it might be a sixty nine year old guy. From the 1930s, uh, somewhere where you also have a difference of 80 years between you. He passed away long before mm. you, uh, you even showed up on this earth. And I, I cannot recommend philatelic literature to the listeners all over the world as a wonderful way to gain, especially if you collect a particular country or a particular group of countries. For 129.95, you're going to pick the brains of a guy that spent 70 years studying the subject. He saw more stuff in that time than you and I, than you and I will see the rest of our lives, and he's about to blow the whistle and talk to you about the country and about the issues and about the characteristics and about the things you need to know about. So, when are you writing your book? Well, the books I'm interested in have already been written. Oh, you, nah, you need to write one. Uh, you, 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 know, you can, you, and we'll help you sell it here on Stamp Show here today. <laughs> well, I appreciate the thought. <laughs> when I'm old and gray, er, <laughs> <laughs> and I prepare to contemplate my navel, I may think about doing something. Hey. But I do, I do strongly. You asked for tips. Well, there's a there's a golden tip because I learned an awful lot. From an awful lot of people who knew who had forgotten more about some of these subjects than I would ever have known by myself, and for 129.95 or five dollars and eighty-seven cents or whatever the whatever the price is, absolutely irrelevant. I had a chance to get an insight that was well beyond the scope of the years and time I had put into the subject. 
So I picked up 50 years worth of someone else's effort for the cost of the book. Are you going to share the title? No, anyone. Oh. When you come into the office here in L.A., you'll see the, you'll see the shelves. There's shelves and shelves packed with books. I think books are the biggest bargain in philately. Okay, so let's do this then. Tip of the week. What book do you think you got the most value out of on your shelf? Turn around, look at your shelf, uh, and point to the one book that strikes you right now as being the one that was most valuable. I'll tell you what. I will make an, I will make an observation. Um, unfortunately, this is a rare set of books. Um, you know, I've immersed myself in the Gibbons catalog for, for 60 years and Scott and the European catalogs and whatever. But there was a series, it was very, very interesting. Of course, you have to be able to read German, which helps. There was a wonderful set of books that went from A to L, I think. Yeah, A to L or A to M. That was published, that was started to be published before World War II in Germany. The Coal Handbooks of the World. It's written in German which I fortunately can read. Having said that, I went through the, the books because they were vaulted as having extraordinary information, and they do have extraordinary... They have, there's information in that catalog that I have never seen anywhere else in any of the other books I've ever read, including Gibbons and Scott and everything else. There were fantastic observations, by, but of course this was, this was started closer to the time when these stamps were new issues. But I, I got more information out of it that of subjects in the British colonies that I thought I had a fair understanding of, and they gave me a, a much better understanding. And I was very impressed with the information that was imparted in those books. So it's the coal... Coal handbooks. Coal handbooks. Excellent. But they're, they're in German. And they're, they're, to say they're out of print is... <laughs> they've been out of print for 50 or 60 years. But there was very, very interesting... I was very I was very intrigued by the observations made by on some of the things I particularly remember British East Africa. There was some very interesting information I'd never ever seen before. There's a set of books that has a lot of information. If one happens to like Great Britain and the British colonies, obviously you can get a hold of a Scott on any place you want. You can get a hold of a Stanley Gibbons anywhere you want. There's a set of books, a small set of books called the Robson Lowe Encyclopedias. There was one for British Africa that was produced in 1949. There's, there are five or six volumes. Of this. I mean, it's long out of print. But there's some footnotes in that thing are not funny. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in there that to this day is not reflected in Scott or Gibbons <laughs> about subjects that are covered by those catalogs. But those observations have never been inculcated into modern literature. The only place you're going to find them is in 1947 in an obscure volume. Uh, if one loves, if if you really want to learn something about British colonies, go on the internet and go wherever you need to go and pick these things up. Uh, they're fifty, a hundred, two hundred dollars a pop, something on that order. But for, for my money, they're very, very well worth, very, very well worth reading. Excellent. In fact, I, 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 Robson Lowe and I were good friends. We did a lot of business together in the 60s and 70s 
before he passed away. And I, I remember taking him out to lunch in London and telling him how much I appreciated those books that he'd produced. I said it was a wealth of information. So I'm glad I had a chance to do it while he was still alive. Wonderful guy. Wonderful philatelic raconteur. A knowledge, a knowledge that was stupendous. Well, I admired the man greatly. Great. Well, any last words before you want to go? You want to give your uh, office a plug again or anything? <laughs> hey, well, we have a we broke seventeen thousand listens, so we're really? growing. Yeah, so if well, you, you're I, look, going to be I'm delighted, I'm delighted to, to sit around the Cracker Barrel with all of you and and schmooze about. The philatelic love life and the pursuit of happiness, because it's an interesting field, and I'm sure we've all got things to contribute. But I have a terrible feeling that I monopolized this conversation, which was not what I intended to do at all. Uh, give, give them, give them a phone number, and uh, they're going to be happy to talk to you. Well, if folks, if folks have an interest in expanding their collections, general or specialized, especially with relate to relate with relation to British colonies, Colonial Stamp Company here in Los Angeles, California. Uh, uh, has maintained for 50 years by millions of dollars the biggest stock of colonial stamps available in America under any circumstances. And the stuff is cross, it's in 50 volumes. It's cross referenced by Scott and Gibbons number, so we can access it either way. And the best thing that the clients, whether they collect British colonies or British colonies, as part of a world collection, this stock is set up as single stamps down to the smallest stamp there is. So when I get a want list in, I can give them the individual component parts because when I was an amateur collector, that was my biggest gripe. Dealers put stuff together the way they wanted to and wouldn't break sets to give me what I needed. And when I started building the stack years ago, I said, there shall be nobody comes here that pays the price being asked for the material that's in front of him that will not go home with the stamps he came here to buy if I have them. That's fair. Well, uh, it's been a, that it, I own the company, and that's been my policy since before day one. Excellent. Well, I, what I've tried to do is create a stamp dealership in the image of the dealer I wanted to have work for me and take care of my philatelic needs. A man who would take this thing seriously and make some progress for me based on what what. Uh, what I was trying to accomplish. And I, I, I feel very, very strongly about that. Well, Merry Christmas, George. Well, a Merry Christmas to the, to the entire group. Thank you very much. I, I'm really, really honored to be invited to participate in your forum. I wish everybody and all of our listeners all over the world a very Merry Christmas. And uh, we're here if you need us. So <laughs> I'll, leave it, I'll leave it at that. And look forward to the next round of uh, philatelic discussions. Great. Have a nice, have a nice Christmas, one and all. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, right George. Out. Cheers. Bye bye. Hold on, Jason. We would like to thank the following for information used in this podcast: Wikipedia, Kenmore Stamps Online, Blogspot.com. And again, thank you to our good friend, Bob Dumain at Sam Houston Philatelics. Go to www.shpauctions.com and sign up for their free email newsletter. 
Also remember to contribute to the Stamp Show here today, Kiva team at Kiva.com. As a reminder, Kiva is not a donation service. It is crowdsourcing to make loans to people in the third world. You pick who the money goes to also and for what cause. And when the loan is repaid in a few months, you can get your money back. Go to Kiva.com. At the top, click the Lend button and pick someone who you like. Then when you go to check out, click the Team arrow and choose Stamp Show Here Today or join and enter that you are a Stamp Show Here Today team member. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I was uh, listening to something on NPR a while ago or one, one of those stations. And uh, they, they were talking about the shoes that you know the one oh. where you buy you buy one pair of shoes. I remember this. And, and the mm. other one goes to uh, some place in Africa, and, and it, it's really interesting. A lot of these charities, these uh, uh, NGOs and charities and stuff mm-hmm. who, who donate money, they actually ruin the local economies of these places. So then when they they give money and give money and give money, and then they leave. And the economy has actually built itself mm-hmm. around these donations, and all of these great little businesses that were there are destroyed, and they end up leaving these companies worse off than when they started. You know, they, they give a pair of shoes, and then they put the shoe company out of business, and yeah. then they stop giving shoes, and then there's no way to get shoes in this in this city anymore. Yeah, uh, so I, I, I saw the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So I I really like what what Kiva's doing. They they take a they give a small loan, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is. Oh, they, they help. Could a, be just hundreds of a few hundred dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Uh, and those people who give a goat or something like mm-hmm. that. I, I like the, those things too. Where you have you, you give him a little bit of money, he buys something. Maybe he buys goats. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's say for some reason I've been or thinking shoes. Or, or shoes or or better yet chickens maybe he buys a few chickens <laughs> and, and he he keeps it for a, a season uh gets it a little baby goat sells off the baby goat and, and repays the loan and then all of a sudden instead of ruining your local economy you're you're building them up and turning and making the the place better for it for years or, or decades to come. I, I I love the idea of it. Well, the first loan I made was there was this lady in Haiti and she had like a snack bar. Okay. And it had. It a, sounds like a poem starting. The lady in Haiti. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it was in Africa someplace. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry. It, well, hey, last time I checked, Haiti is not in Africa. No, no, it no, is no, 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 no. It's a lady in Africa. She her uh, snack bar sort of thing had a tin roof. Okay. And the roof got destroyed. And she needed money to fix it. And she needed like $1,100. And so you get like 25 people together. They all put in 20 bucks each. And she got her roof fixed so that she can run her business. And then she just pays the loan back. There is no way in a lot of these little places like Haiti, for example. But I see most of them are like in Africa more often. There's nobody loaning money. Okay. So there is literally no way for her to fix her place, and she goes out of business because she doesn't have a roof. And that's this. I mean, it's a donation because you're helping people directly, and they pay it back. So it's like business like. And, uh, you know, I like it because I'm a stamp collector, and the business side of it really gets me. I mean, giving a, it, it's the old thing about, you know, teaching a person to fish, give them a fish they eat for a day, teach them to fish they eat forever. I think this is more like a teach a fish man to fish sort of site. Giving a hand up instead of a hand out. Yeah. It's a descend up. 
Thank you for joining us for episode 105. This has been Cash, Brian, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. You can reach us with your questions or comments at our website at stampshowheretoday.com or watch us on YouTube, post a comment, or follow us on Facebook, or leave a message on our Google Voice number 1949-873-4298. You can also ask the experts stamp questions directly at bluepaper at gradingmatters.com. And as always, keep collecting. Okay, let's